The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Two men with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom, now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Hey there, nerds, and welcome to Issue Zero of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. I'm Adam Pope, a sucker for superheroes since 1985, and joining me for this exploration into the world of comic book collecting and obsession is the Green Arrow to my Green Lantern, the Power Man to my Iron Fist, the Monkey Man to my O'Brien? It's Michael Canetti! Hey, everybody, how are you? But who are we? You know, why do we have a podcast? It's nothing we have to hide behind a cape and cowl. We're just a couple of comic book readers, collectors, and fanatics from way back who found ourselves growing up during the insanity of the 1990s comics boom. A time where upstart publishers were exploding onto the scene with exciting new heroes, chromium covers were plentiful, and intense speculation on just how valuable a comic book could be ran rampant in pop culture. And through it all, one magazine was bold enough to declare itself the guide to comics. Of course, we're talking about Wizard. And if you're listening to this, you probably already read and loved Wizard, but for you newbies, Wizard was a monthly publication where fanboys could get the latest gossip on comics, a monthly price guide, and most of all, an irreverent sense of humor that made us feel like we were part of a community that understood what we loved about the epic, inventive, sometimes wacky world of graphic storytelling. So Wizard would tide us over between trips to the comic book store, but in 1991, when the magazine launched, Michael and I were just a couple of boy wonders, not old enough to really take it all in. So, on each episode of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, we will be basing our discussion around the info found on the pages of a single issue of Wizard magazine, in chronological order, in an attempt to re-examine the decade where the comic book industry found itself in the midst of heroic hype, extreme evolution, the likes of which it had never seen and next episode we'll introduce you to the format of the wizards podcast the myriad of entertaining hopefully segments that will be part of this journey but today we want to reveal our origin stories as it pertains to comic books to share with you just how deep our fandom runs honestly it's a great excuse for a podcast (laughs) we have known each other for a while we met doing my other podcast sequel quest also here on the retro network and every time we were off the air michael and i would just share information about our favorite comics and we've even done an episode where we were pitching our favorite characters and comic storylines that haven't been made into movies or tv shows yet that we wanted to see but this is our zero hour and thanks to the retro network we have many adventures to look forward to but first let's look back to the beginning and just so you know michael and i we've not discussed all of these things ahead of time so this is an exciting moment of discovery and friendship as it often is when you find another comics fan out there it seems so rare you know Uh, even though in this day and age comic book movies are all the rage and yet you find somebody really has read them for a long time really knows their stuff it's exciting so michael i'm curious to know what was your first exposure just to the concept of superheroes or comic book characters i think it was the super
Super Friends cartoon. Even as early as probably three years old, you know who Batman was. I remember wearing my first Halloween costume was a Batman costume. It was that plasticky one from like the early 80s. Right. It was a blue and gray suit with a blue and gray mask with a black forehead. But the Super Friends cartoon really exposed me to the wide berth of different comic book characters. And then I, I remember I was thinking about this. There was a series of, I think it was Kellogg's or General Mills was sending out these little five by three mini comic books. And it was like Spider-Man and Captain America and Iron Man and the Hulk. And you got them as like a, a thing, as like a prize inside the cereal box. And I would sit down and I would kind of like thumb through them. And I wasn't like old enough to fully understand how to read or comprehend them. But I would just look at the pictures and like, wow, these are like heroes. And then I think I saw the first, it was like 70s Spider-Man made for TV movies. Yes. <laughs> And I was like, wow, a guy can climb on walls? This is amazing. And I, I was in. And kindergarten, my childhood friend, who still friends to this day, I went over to his house one time, and his dad was telling us about his comic book collection. And he told me how he had Hulk number one. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Avengers number one, Daredevil number two and number four. And I had never even thought about comics prior to the 80s. I was like, wow, these things exist before that? And unfortunately, my friend's father passed away, but all those comics got passed down to, to my buddy, who I hope to someday have on the show here, because he's who had really taught me everything that I knew about comics. We both had the Super Friends figures, and we had like the Marvel toys that with like, kind of like the rubbery arms, and we would come over and we'd play in you know, childhood bedrooms or whatever, just kind of like playing superheroes growing up, and it's just kind of one of the things we were always around. And then it just kind of stuck with me. Well, it's it's interesting, yeah, because when you think about it, that generation of dads, they were around in the 60s when these things were really exploding. And then in our era, it really was about the merchandising in such a big way, right? It was about the cartoons and everything. And so, yeah, for me, it was definitely the Spider-Man cartoons, because you had Spider-Man and his amazing friends on Saturday mornings, and then yeah. and my local Fox affiliate played the 60s Spider-Man show in the afternoons. I and remember so, that, know, too. Yeah, and so, like, I, I'm, I'm fully immersed, and then I had, a, you know, Amigo Spider-Man, Amigo Hulk. I had the Mattel Marvel Superhero Secret Wars figures. If you look at pictures of me from three until probably, like, six or seven, I'm always in a Spider-Man shirt. That was pretty really? much... Yeah, it's crazy. Like, it was my wardrobe. Even I had this ski mask that was, like, a Spider-Man mask. There's a, a picture of me at Christmas on my mom's lap in front of the tree. I'm wearing Superman pajamas with a Spider-Man mask on. So it, it just totally pulled me in. And again, I had no concept of what a comic book was. I just knew, here's this cool guy who shoots webs, and he makes jokes, and he can fight bad guys with the best of them. I had this coloring book that I, I recently was looking for, because I was like, I remember it had two Spider-Man characters on the cover, and one was punching the other. And if you're thinking about it now, you'd be like, oh, was that like a Clone Saga adaptation? Mm -hmm. But it was actually about some criminal who was imitating Spider-Man. But <laughs> it was definitely like cartoons and action figures were what were pulling me in. And it wouldn't be till years later that I understood even what a comic book was. And it came from, I don't know if you remember this show from the late 80s. It was a Canadian syndicated adventure show called My Secret Identity.
starring Jerry O'Connell. I feel like I remember this. It's super vague for most people. You'll never guess my secret identity. It had a real rockin' 80s theme song, but the whole concept was this kid was obsessed with comic books, and literally his whole room was Marvel comics, like literal comics taped to his wall. They were like bagged and boarded, and like on his wall as decorations, and he had like cut out Spider-Man, Spider-Man phone, and all this stuff, and I looked at that, I was like, oh, that's where Spider-Man came from. And then in the show, he gets zapped by his like crazy scientist next door neighbor, and he gets superpowers, called himself Ultraman, which I guess he didn't know about the Japanese Ultraman. And so then the second season, they got rid of that uh, secret identity. And so that introduced me to the concept of what a comic book was. And then there was this older kid in my neighborhood, and my mom knew his mom because he was in high school. He's like, do you think he could babysit Adam for the day I got to go run some errands? So I go to his house, and he's just got long boxes filled with comics. He had every Secret Wars action figure. And I was like, this guy is the coolest guy in the world. And he's showing me like handbook of the Marvel Universe. He's like, look at these characters. He showed me the one where it's like all the characters who had died. And so he was just explaining to me the whole world. And I, I had no idea. And then just like a year later, my buddy Chris, his dad had collected comics in the 60s, had like this huge collection. His mom had thrown them out. So he's going through his midlife crisis to recollect his childhood comic book library. So he's taking my friend and I, you know, this is like 1990, 91. We're going around. He's like, okay, you got to get this book you got to get this book like he was going to conventions and he was basically my yoda of comics you know his, his name was popper that was his he used to sell popcorn in college and they called him popper and he had this big bushy gray beard glasses i mean he was just like this wise man who taught me the world of comics so between those two guys it was a real awesome adventure but michael do you remember what your first comic book was whether it was one you purchased or one that was given to you i still have it all oh, right my family was going to take a vacation to Disney in April over like, you know, spring break. And we were in the airport and my dad's like, you know, pick out a magazine or whatever at one of those Hudson News type things. And there was a Detective Comics sitting there. Detective Comics 613 from 1990. And I still have it to this day. And I read it on the airplane and over and over again. It's worthless now, quality-wise, but it's still my number one, and I still have that book to this day. I had it out for a while. I'd written a, I'd written a paper on it about a year ago for graduate school. It's one of those things where, as a comic book fan, you always remember your number one book. Like, right. you're, you know, it may not be a number one, per se, but it, you'll never forget your number one book. And that was mine. That's awesome. So so Batman was it. He was right there at the beginning. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. For me, fairly similar, actually. Um, my brother and sister, they're 15 and 17 years older than me. So they were always more like aunts and uncles to me when I was finally old enough to know, you know, 100% who they were. Then my sister was married, and I used to go visit her in the summers. And my brother-in-law was really cool. You know, he had a Nintendo. He had laser tag. He was building model trades in their basement. 
basement. You know, he was always doing cool stuff. And so he would like take me around one day. I think my, my sister like had to go to work still and he was in college. So he was like, yeah, we'll just hang out. And he took me to 7-Eleven and I get a Slurpee. And then while we're walking out, I'm like, oh, what is this? And I see a spinner rack filled with comics. I'm like, that's from the, my secret identity. That's, that's those comics. And this name's Trace. I'm like, Trace, can I get one? Can I get one? He's like, yeah, you can grab a couple. That's fine. So I'm looking in and I, I see here it was Spider-Man and Nightcrawler flipping on the trunk of an elephant. It's an issue of Marvel Tales number 242, which was a reprint series, if anybody knows. So they just took old stories <laughs> of usually like Marvel team-ups with Spider-Man and, and put them in there. And then the next one I grabbed, again, having no knowledge, but looking at the cover, it was stacked with different characters. Also Nightcrawler again, but it was Excalibur number 14. And on the cover, you got like Doctor Strange and Iron Man and Hulk, and they're going up against Captain Britt, Kitty Pride, and all the members of Excalibur, you know, Phoenix. And, mm-hmm. and it's a crazy issue because they're actually like in this alternate dimension where everything's totally messed up and characters are merged. There's like Deathlock and Captain America are like an amalgamated character. It's really weird. So it was a strange introduction to the Marvel Universe, but almost instantly because of that, I just read those, like you said, over and over again. And Nightcrawler became equal to Spider-Man in my mind. And mm-hmm. I actually have uh, recently like dug out from my mom's house a bunch of school projects. And it was like, you know, what's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? And it was like, what's your favorite book? And it was my Spider-Man and Nightcrawler book. And then I drew a picture of them and it was like a little pop out in my book. That was like a huge deal to me, just like hanging on to those. And yeah, I still got them right in front of me too. And you know, I'm in a back issue bin and I come upon those. Sometimes I'll like get another copy just because. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because we're both born in 82, I believe, right? You were born right. in 82. Yep. So so we're both about the same age, getting exposed to a physical comic book for the first time at the turn of the 90s. This is, you know, post-Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I find that kind of interesting that both of us got our real exposure to a physical book in the beginning of the 90s and not before that, you know? Exactly. It's like it's kind of like right as the decade was turning, there we were, and we were ready to go. So after that initial Detective Comics issue, where did you find your next comic book? I was all about Captain America and Spider-Man. I loved Captain America as a kid. I don't know what it was. I think it was just during the time of like, you know, the Persian Gulf War and the country was very uh, America strong. And like I saw this guy in this red and white and blue. It just kind of was like, wow, that's that's a cool character. And then I think I had also just seen, again, made for TV Captain America shows from the 70s. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this guy's awesome. I bought a book. It was actually an issue where uh, it was Captain America and U.S. Agent. Oh, yeah. And I was like, there's two of these guys, and they're heroes, they're good, but one's better than the other, and it was it was really cool. I think they were fighting the kingpin, and I still have that book, too. I, the problem is, I have, at this point in my life, about 25 boxes, oh. some long, some short, <laughs> and and I have to, like, spend, a, you know, a weekday or a Saturday just going through to find them, and I'll pull them all out, but I have a whole slew. It was, I have a big bunch of Spider-Man and uh, Captain America. I was never a big, like, Wolverine fan. I didn't even have that many Superman books until it got closer to the death of Superman. It was mostly Batman, Captain America, and Spider-Man, and I think that was also because Spider-Man had the cartoon, there was the animated series, Batman 89, those kind of things really captivated me. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's why I focused on those the most. And I really didn't even acknowledge most other characters until later on in my reading years. And I think it's interesting, you know, it's just, it's very telling of that age as well, that we both found our first comics at a newsstand. You know, you just found them out in the wild, which is kind of hard to do these days. Why? Because bookstores don't exist anymore and magazine racks are getting smaller and smaller. And if they're there, they don't have comics in them anymore which is to me a huge surprise just again given the popularity of superheroes in general and comics inspired media you would think that there would be an explosion of comic books but really even today the place that you have to go to find them is a comic book store so for you michael what was your first trip to a comic book store like how did you even find out that a comic book store existed so after we got back that trip to disney I wanted to get more comic books. And my dad never really understood comic books growing up. He was more of like a baseball card collector, you know, putting them in their spokes in the 60s. But he didn't, you know, I was like, all right, I think there's a baseball, there's a baseball card store type of place in the village where we grew up and it was a place called Bailey's Comics which still exists to this day and I still go to 30 some odd years later wow yeah and I went to the store and like you first walked in and, and you like you could smell the paper remember like yes. what, what the what the paper used to smell like and you're like wow what is that like it was the ink on the paper and it wasn't the glossy comics that are of today it was real printed almost like newspaper material and then you'd walk in there's like baseball cards on one side and they had like comic book baseball cards too i was like whoa they have comic book baseball cards too this is cool and then there was just you know rows and rows of books and the trades of today like buying a graphic novel like it didn't really exist back in the day it was more just buying issues and i didn't know that stories were were more or less serialized right so i'd go i'll grab this captain america this spider-man this batman whatever pick and choose a few different here and there i think i even grabbed like a jonah hex i like western (laughs) stuff i was like that's cool i didn't know what it was and you know i was about eight or nine years old at the time like i grabbed a couple different things i didn't know to like buy bags and boards to protect these things it wasn't a thought in my head and my dad didn't know any better so i would buy a couple books and you know books of the time were maybe a buck and a quarter or so give it take a dollar dollar 25 like, oh cool you know i had you know a couple pennies in my piggy bank like here i'll give the guy five bucks bought like five books I don't even think I was fully reading them, you know, like it was more just like an idea of like letting your imagination kind of run wild and flipping through the pages and seeing these mythological characters do heroic things. And and that's kind of where I was, you know? Yeah, it's it's interesting because, again, you know, you earlier you mentioned, you know, Batman 89 obviously was huge for a lot of people who knew about the Adam West series and reruns. And we go see that film. And I remember, obviously, that was like a huge influence on my friends around me. They were super into Batman at the time. I had one buddy named Eric, and uh, I was always getting his parents to take us places. So, like, it wasn't that my parents wouldn't, but it was always more fun if I was over at his house. I'd be like, hey, uh, see if your mom wants to go to McDonald's or whatever. And, like, and he started collecting comics, and I saw, like, he had, like, an Atlantis Attacks issue, or he had, like, the best Joker stories ever told trade and stuff like that. And I started being like, oh, where'd you get those? He's like, oh, there's this comic book store. It's called Planet X Comics. I was like, oh, 
okay. Ask your mom if we can go. You know? So <laughs> I was like spending the day with them. So she's like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll go over there. So we walk in. I actually, you know, I ended up shopping there quite a bit after on, but that first time, all I remember was walking out of the store holding this one shot issue that was a uh, reboot of World's Finest that was drawn by Steve Rude. Just they had this painted cover of Superman and Batman on it with the bat signal going in the sky and then the interior art was fantastic as well. So like I remember walking out with that and after that I, I went to my dad, you know, same as you and I'm just like, dad, we gotta find a comic book store like this but like bigger because this was just like in a little strip mall kind of area. It was a little tiny store and I was just like, there's gotta be more. And so we started going to these stores. One was called Comics Unlimited. To me, that was my home store. We would go to his office on the weekends. He'd always have some contract to look over whatever he was going to do. And so I'd have to go with that. I was like, well, can we go to the comic book store first? And they had like new release racks around the outer walls, then bins just full of back issues in the middle, you know, and toys and posters and everything you would want. You know, my dad was so cool. He would just like hang in the background. Then there was another store. This is a chain that you would see Mile High Comics always had an ad in old comic books. You know, so you'd flip through it would be like a big yellow page with tiny, tiny font. And you could order from Mile High Comics. They were like the kings of back issues. And they opened this mega store. It was absolutely gigantic. Uh, so much so that on the front, they had painted murals of Spider-Man and Batman and Superman and like you know, the whole thing. And they were like endless bins of back issues there. And they had comic book auctions that I got some of my more prized issues at and huge action figure acts like they were overwhelming but the one store which is the one i still shop at that still survives in southern california so whenever i go home is called comics tunes and toys and it's in tustin california and this is one that my friend chris's dad popper that i was telling you about we had been out all day he had actually taken us to multiple comic book stores for signings so we were getting like this inker is going to be signing this book this issue of ghost rider over here or i got to meet joe quesada when he was the artist on the ray and have him sign that issue number one and i still have that you know hold on hold, hold on <laughs> so you're telling me you got an autograph from joe casada that blows my mind right now it, it doesn't surprise me with knowing you but it's amazing i didn't know probably until like the later 90s that even comic book artists did that like they came to your store and signed books like what that's wild i'm i'm like nerding out over here <laughs> yeah like i said i mean it was, it was full immersion where he's just like guys this is what the comics industry could be and i was like huh he's like this is what it's becoming it's all about the artists we got to go meet them we got to get them to sign books i'm like okay i guess this is what we do but i was even more excited when he took us to this comics tunes and toys store because just something about it it was evening and we walk into this bright comic book store and I'm looking around and I'm just like this place is beautiful this is wonderful and I like pick up an issue of Marvel Comics Presents which was the one where it was like this ongoing serialization of Wolverine's like Weapon X origin and I remember looking through that I'm like what and that was the store like I said that I would just go back to again and again as I kind of got more uh, autonomous you know and I had my own car and everything like that was the one that was always so special to me after the, the boom was over so many stores closed 
shows. It was interesting. So this is my question then for you, because you said, Michael, at the beginning, like you were just kind of grabbing, this looks cool, this looks cool. But what were your buying habits? Like, were you into more new releases? Were you looking at back issues? Were you there for the collectibles? Like, how did that start to evolve for you as you went more regularly to your comic book stores? So here's the funny thing that, that I have always found with people in regards to comics in general is they're all like, oh, my God, there's there's 85 years of Batman and Superman. Where do I jump on to read? How do I just pick up a book and know where to go? And for me, it was kind of one of those things where I'd go to the store and usually I'd either like ask the guy at the front desk, like, hey, what's what's the cool book to read this week? Whatever it might have been. And I would gravitate usually to Spider-Man and Batman pick up, and I would just kind of read the, the monthlies as they would go along periodically. And I, I wasn't really going for back issues because, the truth be told, I didn't really know until much later in my life that there was comics before 1990. Like, I didn't... <laughs> You know what really got me interested that I was really, really hooked on for a while was when Tim Drake became Robin because I got the number one of that and then the number one of Nightwing when Nightwing went to the black and blue suit and got rid of all the the yellow and gold colors and the collars. And I was like, wait a minute. There's a number one. This will be my first book that I can get, and I'll be starting in the beginning of their story. And I was like, I got to buy those. And I, I liked Nightwing because he, he was kind of Batman's son, but he was kind of his own man as well. And I, I thought that was kind of cool. And he went to his own city. And he went to Bloodhaven, which is really cool. And I loved the idea of Tim Drake as Robin more than any of the other Robins because at the time he was like close to my age and I was like wow this kid can be a hero and he can learn from Batman who I idolize but yet he can be his own hero too it's one of those things where I don't know if this is to you but my my buddy Joe who's the person that got me most into comic books and I I've always felt that Growing up in the 90s, like, Wally West was our Flash, and and he was always going to be my Flash. Even though Barry Allen is the Flash of today and everything is back that way, but, like, he was a character that I always grabbed. Because he was, was kind of, like, unsure of himself, and that was a book that I really enjoyed. He's dealing with these emotions of a previous Flash that I didn't really know much about at the time, other than, like, the 90s show about Barry Allen which I was obsessed with at the time, and, you know, Mark Hamill as as a trickster. Oh, 100%. Love it so much. Because the thing about that show, and that got me really into The Flash, it was the closest thing that I could grab hold to, that it felt like Batman 89. The the music was Danny Elfman. It had that kind of, like, feel to it of, of like, a Gotham City, but with superpowers this time. Um, and And that really connected me to the flash as well but I, I was always confused i'm like why is the show this guy barry allen but why is the comic book wally west but i was kind of interested i was like are they gonna tell me are they gonna figure it out a lot of those characters those like teen titans that i've really hooked on and of course also it was like spider-man because spider-man when in the 90s he was more like closer to his later 20s and 30s in like their universe and he's just trying to do the, the right thing and he makes mistakes and those are the kind of things that i really connected with yeah absolutely i mean when you talk about tim drake robin that was a tip from 
Popper. He's like, by the way, they're going to be introducing a new Robin. And he was showing me these Nightwing comics. Like, oh, see, that was Robin, but he grew up and he became Nightwing. I was like, oh, you're going to want to get this issue of Batman because they're going to show the new Robin costume. So I have that issue, you know, of of Tim, you know, going to save Batman from the Scarecrow unofficially. And then at the very last page, you see him, you know, showing his Robin costume off. And that hit me so hard that became my obsession. I collected that miniseries. I loved it so much. And then I was in Boy Scouts at the time, or Cub Scouts, you know, actually, I was that young. And we had our races, you know, where you get your car and you carve it, you paint it and all that. Oh, yeah. I did that two years in a row, and both of my cars were Robin-themed cars. That's pretty cool. Anyway, so when I would go into the store, I would buy, you know, the the Robin miniseries. I was super excited. And I'd then, I'd pick up, say, like one or two issues of the Reign of the Superman crossovers, or, you know, eventually like Spider-Man 2099. But I would spend a lot of time myself in the back issue bins buying old, you know, What If comics and random stuff, you know, like Shogun Warriors, or like you mentioned, the Wolfman Perez Teen Titans, or an issue of Captain America with Dr. Octopus as the villain. So I was like, that's a Spider-Man villain. Why is he fighting Captain America? You know, but I was always more interested in the history that I missed than the history that was in the making. I didn't want to go in the habit of saying, okay, I'm going to get a full run of such and such title or such and such character. That wasn't as far as my obsession was going, but I would say, okay, well, I want to know a little bit more about this and I want to know a little bit more about that. But I'm curious also, Michael, in what ways did you find comics working their way into your everyday life to where you do, okay, this is not just a passing fad for me. This is something really ingrained. You know, when you're like sitting in middle school and like math class or English class, and you're supposed to be taking notes from the teacher on the chalkboard, I swear, if I had my notebooks from, you know, middle school through the early parts of my college career, there was always a bat symbol on it. (laughs) And... It, it was a different one every time, and I was trying to, like, perfect my own bat symbol. The 89 symbol, I would try to do it like the various comic book artists. Each one was a little bit different. Then, you know, when, like, Batman Beyond came out, I would try to, like, mimic that symbol, but constantly drawing bat symbols, maybe multiple on a page. And I would kind of, like, be writing notes around a bat symbol. Like, there'd be someone in the middle of the page, and I kind of, like, almost like block lettering where you kind of <laughs> build stuff around. It was the weirdest thing. And, you know, the teachers would look at me and like what are you doing i was like i I don't know it's just how i kind of like zone in i'm drawing a bat symbol for some reason for me that particular symbol was stuck out to me so much more than any other whether it's superman or captain america or whatever when you see the bat signal in the air like there's only one person that's calling for and that was very powerful imagery in my childhood when you talk about that it reminds me of a batman t-shirt my wife gave me a year or so ago which is it's every bat symbol by every different artist on top of each other so it's like this wire framing outline in yellow of every bat signal. Like you can just barely make out a bat symbol in all of that. Your wife should email my wife and send her the link to that shirt. Yes. So I can get it for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting. On the school assignment side, I feel you 100%. I just picked up a bunch of my old school books that I kept, like my composition, you know, the black and white cover mm. notebooks. Oh, yeah. And just every margin, everything is filled with superhero sketches of me just like, 
like drawing stuff over and over again because I almost took it to the next level, which is to say that every school assignment that I could turn in as a comic book, I would do it. So like if I'm supposed to turn in an essay or a report for English class, a lot of times I would draw it as a comic and see if I could get away with it. And like half the time my teacher would be like, you know what? This is so inventive. Thank you for freshening up my day. Or science class even, I would do that. I'd be like, combustor! And I would like explain, when you mix these chemicals? Because it was just like, that was how my brain was now interpreting just the world. I was like, panels and superheroes? And you could put it together and make it, you know, creative storytelling. Even to the point where... Of course, you're supposed to be doing your schoolwork. I am half listening to you, teacher, but I'm busy creating my own superheroes. Chris and I, my buddy, we tried to start our own little comic book company just out of his house, you know, so we're all like, okay, everybody's going to have their own book. All right, who are your characters? You know, so I created a team. They were called Rage 2000. (laughs) (laughs) And then what I did, though, is I started actually drawing full comics in junior high, just on notebook paper, but I would do full paneled pages and I would team up with several classmates just as a way of making friends like hey do you like comics because everybody was starting to get into comics what's a character idea you have and so I would draw them these guys were like hey we have this idea we want to be burrito boy and the ice cream man make that a comic they would give me like basic plot outlines and then I would put it together or I created this guy called the bumbling bee who is basically take spider-man mix him with the ticks like this kind of <laughs> idiot superhero who you know got stung by a radioactive bee and then it like followed you know he got a black costume but i would pass them around and people were like oh this is pretty hilarious actually to the point where i said okay oh is there a school newspaper i'm gonna create a super team based on our school mascot i went to south lake middle school so that it became the south lake super team you know and i created a whole cast of characters we only released one edition of the newspaper but there were my characters and then in high school our mascot was the trojans so I created a comic book about a superhero Trojan who would transform, you know, he'd go, Trojan! Kind of like <laughs> the return of the Incredible Hulk with Thor. Odin! Same deal. And then, you know, even like this girl I thought was cute in my science class. Hey, let's draw a comic together. So it became Hoju Coolander and the Scarlet Rose. And we would trade off. We would each draw our own characters in a panel, plot the story together. So like, it became like a real way for me to interact and really explain myself I guess. It was like, do you get it? Do you get this? Okay, we could be friends. And of course, the uh, clothing continued as well. I just went from Spider-Man to Batman shirts to X-Men. It never, never changed, even to this day. You know, half my shirts are comic book related. I'm going to go a little deep now for a minute. All right. So I went to high school starting 96, and up until the end of eighth grade, I was always wearing like a Batman shirt or a Superman shirt or something like that, right? But then my school was much like your typical 90s, she's all that kind of high school where like, <laughs> you know, there's the cool kids, the jocks, there's the geeks and whatever. And the, the cool kids and the rich kids and the jocks always picked on the geeks. And so especially in like ninth grade, I'd constantly get picked on if I wore a Batman shirt or whatever. And I kind of had to hide my passion for superheroes. And it caused me to stop reading comics for a while too because I was like oh I don't want anybody to know that I have superhero action figures or I have Legos that I build bat wings or batmobiles or whatever and I kind of like had to keep it 
secretive. And I remember one of my English classes, we had to do like a poetry book. It was, you know, you had to write 15 or 20 poems or whatever. And this was like my first opportunity because I could not draw. Like I am a terrible artist till to this day. The only thing that I can draw well is the bat symbol. Everything else is terrible and it's hard to admit but it's pretty bad by the way i never said i was a good artist i just drew (laughs) but hey you you went for it for me i like to write so i started writing poems but they were of superhero theme boy gets powers boy does heroic things in poetry form and you know i know it sounds it's poetry but it was kind of like each each one had to be a different style of poetry and my teacher liked it so much she selected like the top five books in her class and they were put in the town's public library whoa for like six months on display for other people to go in and read and and people would go in like oh they pick up my book and i remember when i got approved because we first would have to like hand write the stories and they're like oh you need to type these into the book and i'm like how do i type it into the book and i had to take out my grandmother's typewriter and i'm like <laughs> click 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 and then you make a mistake and you had a little piece of like white out paper you had to go over it back up click and type over and i was type using a typewriter to type these poems and then submitted this little hardcover book that i think my mother has somewhere in her basement and michael's childhood collection things that you know all moms have oh look at these adorable little baby teeth or whatever and his little poetry book you know so cool thing for me i went way off on a tangent but it's an interesting segue to like see how for you growing up people were cool with you liking nerdy superhero type things for me i was like you know afraid to embrace it and showcase it because i was always getting picked on for oh you like batman I, you know you got a batman backpack like you're high school now like why do you need i'm like all right i'll get my jan sport backpack and i'll have my, my batman folder hidden inside of my trapper keeper so that nobody can see it kind of thing you know yeah it was interesting because i i say that and i think people saw me more as an oddity like this guy is an individual but we'll indulge him because he's making life entertaining because he's doing weird stuff you know kind of out of the norm because like you know that was the thing like back then too is a lot of people especially you know as the x-men cartoon came around and stuff like that everybody like oh i love comics i love x-men but they were just kind of on the bandwagon for the moment you know i was able to find a core group of friends who actually read comics regularly and were legitimately interested to the point where every wednesday we would get out of school at one o'clock we got our early release and so my friends and i we would ride our bikes across town to go to planet x comics to buy more comics and so it was really cool to like finally find those people because you would try to get into a conversation with somebody that said they liked x-men or whatever it was and they really didn't know what they were talking about you know they're like oh well uh rogue is hot gambit is cool i'm like okay i was gonna like i don't know about you and maybe uh you know maybe i'm a little cynical or or whatever but but I remember when the Brian Singer X-Men movies came out and the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, and even as far forward as the Chris Nolan Batman films, people were like, oh my God, I love Spider-Man, I love X-Men, I, I love Batman. And I'd go to talk to them, and their only frame of reference for those characters are those movies. And maybe some of them knew the, the 90s animated series of X-Men or Spider-Man or Batman, but like, 
when I would kind of approach them and be like, well, did you know this particular thing about Spider-Man, how he really got the black costume, like what really happened? And they have no idea. And I guess maybe when I was younger, I was like, this would bother me. I'm like, how can they say they're a Spider-Man fan if all they know is the three Sam Raimi movies and a couple of episodes of the animated series they watched? Like, don't you want to know about this character? Like, there's, there's 60, 70 years of history with this character, how it came to be and why. Did that ever bother you? Like, oh, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm a huge Batman fan. I'm going to get a, a Batman sleeve tattoo. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. But do you know why there's those characters there? Like, why his yeah, suit? Yeah, exactly. Ha- it's know. like the iconography is exciting to them. My wife, her connection to me with comics, she's like, I don't get comics, but you like them, so I buy you shirts. Same with my wife, exact same thing. (laughs) But she bought me, like, a Superman hat, and she keeps buying me Superman stuff, and I'm like, dear, I don't like Superman. I'm going to wear this, but I'm not a Superman guy. And so I wear the Superman hat all around town, and sometimes I feel like I'm an imposter, because if somebody was really into Superman and they wanted to talk to me about it, I'd be like, well, you know, I know some. You know, I'm pretty well versed in Superman, but I never read it religiously. You know, I'm not going to be able to get like super deep. Well, actually, that's not true. I mean, <laughs> I can talk pretty, pretty deep about Superman, but he's not like a, a core character for my collecting or something that I really relate to. But yeah, and so like when I run into people like that or they like have like a Venom sticker on their car, like there's this gal around my town who has a big Venom sticker on in the back of her windshield. And I keep wanting to ask her because her her kid goes to my, my daughter's preschool. I keep wanting to say like, do you really know Venom? Can we talk about comics? But I, but I'm afraid that she's going to be like, oh, no, I really like that movie. Tom Hardy's cool. Oh, yeah, Tom Hardy's hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of worried. But anyway, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, so it's kind of difficult. That's why like when you and I got a chance to start talking, like we said at the top, it's so rare to find the person who is as obsessive, who has to know more, who wants to be able to say, if you want to talk about this, I can go for a few hours and it's going to be a fun time. I can pull out specific issues. I could talk about favorite artists or writers that worked on the character. But I think for me, a lot of that came from Wizard Magazine. Yes, we're finally getting to Wizard in that, you know, there's only so many comics you could buy at a time. There's only so much time you have to read. And sometimes you need supplemental material. And I feel like at the time, Wizard was that magazine. And it's not to say there weren't other comics magazines out, you know, prior to that. They, they certainly weren't the first to enter that genre. There was, yeah, I think going back to the 70s, like the Comics Journal or Comic Book Marketplace or even like a Comic Scene magazine, you know, an offshoot of Starlog that existed, you know, long before Wizard. But they, there was something special about the Wizard formula and not necessarily at the beginning, and we're going to get into that as we start going through the issues, but Garib Seamus, who was the the editor-in-chief, the mastermind behind it, basically says, I wanted a comic magazine that had everything in it because there's also like i have like you know comics interview magazine so sometimes there was one that just focused on talking to creators then there were ones that just talked about what's the new release and then there were ones that talked about you know direct to uh comic book retailers you know just trying to give them an insight as to what's coming out what they should look out for and this one was like a little bit of everything and so i'm curious for you michael what was your first exposure to wizard and let me just say your opinion of wizard you ready to laugh 
first exposure to Wizard Magazine was in a Kmart. Wow. I was, like, walking through, like, the, the video game section, looking at, like, Sega Genesis games, and next to, like, Nintendo Magazine was Wizard Magazine, and it was, like, Wolverine and Sabretooth on the cover or yeah, something like that. that's one, yeah, definitely. And it kind of stuck out in my brain, and I was like, let me just kind of flip through this. My mom's, you know, walking around the store, and I'm kind of like walking with this magazine, <laughs> looking at it. And I, I can't say that I loved the magazine, but what it did for me was it gave me ideas by looking at the various things. Oh, this is what's coming out soon, and it was the covers of various issues that might have been. Wow, look at that cover. And I, I'm still to this day obsessed with comic book covers. I might buy books and never read the actual inside of it. I just buy it for the cover. Wow. And I remember I got, you know, the first Jim Lee X-Men cover, and I was like, wow, this thing, just the colors and the art, it was just breathtaking. And I remember I saw the Wizard magazine, it was reviewing some of the other coming X-Men books with Jim Lee, and I was like, this is pretty cool. Like, this is interesting. Like, not just, like, this one little store in the town that I live in, like comic books are everywhere and people are reading about them and interested. And that fascinated me in that sense. I, a lot of times when I would look through the wizard magazine, I would just kind of thumb through it with like a pencil and circle the ones that I'd want to get the covers for. When I go to the store, say, <laughs> I'm like, all right, let me find this cover. And if the, if the shop didn't have that cover, cause I didn't fully know that they were variant covers at the time. Ah, uh, where's this cover? Like, I want to get this book. I don't even know who it is, but it looks cool and I need it. I'm like, I want to get it. And the guy's like, ah, I sold out of it. I'm like, well, how do you get more? I don't know. And I would just move on. I'd be mad. But there were certain times, like, I remember one of the biggest things that really set me off with Wizard Magazine was when I learned about the death of Superman coming and the black plastic wrapped book with the bloody Superman symbol. And I was like, oh my God, I have to find this. And I remember immediately going to my mom, like, mom, when we leave Kmart, can we go two miles away to the comic book store? And I, I think the book was maybe $5 at the time. And I said, okay, I, I go in the store, I'm like, when does this thing come out? Like, oh, it comes out in about two months. You want to put a deposit down to hold it? I was like, mom, do you have like two dollars to deposit for this book? <laughs> and she's like, she looked at me like, why do you? I'm like, I just need it. You don't understand. Like, they're gonna kill Superman. I gotta, get, I gotta get this. And my mom put down the two bucks, and then the guy called me when it came in. And I ran to the store and I put my rest of the money down to buy the thing. And lo and behold, if I had known any better, I would have said. I should have bought two of them, but no, I only bought one, and I opened it, and I kept the plastic for however many years, but if I would have kept it in the plastic. Okay, I looked it up recently. I think, you know how much that book is worth now? You're going to laugh. Let's hear it. Anywhere on eBay between 18 and $22. Wow. <laughs> and and you'd think, oh, my God, is it this is the first time Superman died, it'd be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars now, but they made so many of exactly, it. Exactly, except for there's that many printed up, then not so much. Yeah, it's interesting because, like you say, I think that's what made Wizard so special is that they did have that reach into so many different stores, right? Like, it wasn't just a comic book store you were going to find Wizard in. It was actually at a newsstand, just like the comics that you wanted to buy. And so, you know, unless you're looking for a special cover, like you're saying, you could probably find everything you needed right next to you. You're flipping through the pages. Oh, that comic's right here. That comic's right here, you know? So, yeah, that was a huge deal, I think, for why it caught on. I know my first issue was number seven with the Exo Manowar character, if any 
anybody knows him, one of my favorites from Valiant. The rebooted one I know is very popular these days. I love the original. But I, again, I didn't know who Exo Manowar was at the time, but I see this dude in armor, like shooting a blast out of his arm. So, and I remember flipping through it and just amazed because they had like, wait, they have an action figure price guide and a comics price guide. And they're talking about superhero movies that are coming out and all this stuff. And when we get to that issue uh, in the show, we have a lot to talk about there, but that was like my first. And then I really didn't keep collecting Wizard or reading Wizard until a couple years later, not until 1993. And it was the issue number 28 with Bartman on the cover and all the Bongo Comics characters. I remember that. I remember that cover. It was very, very iconic. And and that was like just shortly after Wizard went like full color and started really giving the the attitude that they were known for. And so after that, I was buying it every month and I would go to Barnes and Noble. You know, like you said, you found yours at Kmart. I found mine at Barnes and Noble bookstores. And eventually I got a subscription. And I actually, I used to have a huge tub filled with my issues that I collected for years and years. And at a certain point, I I sold it at a garage sale in like 2005. I totally regret it regret it sold that along with my collection of cracked magazines i didn't read mad i read cracked but it breaks my heart so i've had to rebuild the collection you know at this point and with help from the retro network so again thanks to nikki and jason for making this a reality in that way but man issue after issue i just read it cover to cover but it was important to me because i know like you said michael like you would go in and you would actually talk to the comic book store owner or somebody that worked there i would was shy and i didn't engage in conversation with the patrons with the owner with anybody honestly though it took me a long time to feel like i was okay enough to talk to them because like i knew my dad didn't know anything my mom didn't know anything but my buddy joe and his dad did and they would talk to them and i would kind of like hear the guys talking and then I would slowly start engaging in the conversation till I felt like, okay, I can hold my own in this conversation and not feel like I don't know what I'm talking about. And then what do you think about, you know, this reign of the Superman? Like, you know, what's going to happen here? And they would you know, tell me, oh, pick up this or check out this or whatever. And, and it was it was a lot of, you know, the, the term nowadays is called like active listening, where you're like sitting there and you're absorbing the information. And my grandmother always said, don't start saying something until you know you have the answer of what you wanting to say or know exactly how you want to say it. And so I would listen to what they're saying and I'd be like, well, let me ask you a question. What do you think about this particular thing for Superman or whatever. And I wasn't super aware of a lot of the writers and artists. Obviously, I knew guys like George Perez and and Jim Lee. But for me, it was either, you know, if it wasn't Stan Lee of the 60s or, you know, or, or Bob Kane, I didn't know a lot of the writers of the time. I said to my mom, I said, listen, I, I want to get this book and it would teach you how to draw. And I felt like, okay, once I could start learning a little bit of how to draw a face or, or, or a shape or whatever, I could talk to them more because I feel like these guys knew so much more than me. And that was important to me. But at first, I too was very shy. It took me to hear other people that I knew talking to get me involved in the conversation. Yeah, well, and I, I can understand. That makes sense. And on the art side of things too, yeah, I had like How to Draw Comics, the Marvel way. Yes, I had, that's the book. That's the one I had, yes. <laughs> 
And then my mom is an actual artist. And so she always used to try to sit down and teach me. And I was like, no, I just do it my own way, mom. And I just wish I would have listened. I would have some fundamentals to go off of because I didn't even really use that book. I was like, oh, you you draw a line for the center of the body. And then you do a circle around for the head and like that whole thing. I was like, then I got to erase it. Then I got to ink it. Then I got, oh, that's a lot of work. I'll yeah. just draw it with pen the first time. Yeah, like, draw, draw the line through the middle of the face. Yes, yeah, so I'm like, what? Why? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> That's where you got to light up the eyes. You got to know where the nose goes. I'm like, I know where a nose goes on a face. Anyway, but that's what I found so interesting because that was actually later on a uh, feature in Wizard Magazine is they would teach you how to draw. Like they would give you tips and things like that. And like they, they were just like comprehensive. But I think what I took away most from Wizard was the comic book history. Like I said, I wanted to know what came before. And I needed to know about stuff that were the milestones in the genre, like you said, so I could hold my own in a conversation. So where did I learn about stuff like Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns or indie stuff like Paul Chadwick's Concrete and Mike Allred's Madman? You know, that I, I, stuff I never would have discovered on my own was getting featured there in Wizard Magazine. But interestingly enough, I rarely bought any of the books that they featured, you know, as like a hot new book that's on its way, maybe with like the exception of Gen 13, you know, because I wasn't an image guy when that image, uh, you know, avalanche hit and everybody was so excited. But the only place I could have found out about Fairchild and Grunge and the rest of them, you know, would have been that iconic wizard cover with the three girls on the front. I So I mostly used the magazine as a reference just to be in the know, because again, there were so many books being produced, so many new publishers. Ultimately, I did just buy whatever looked cool to me that was new, but it was still like, I was like, felt like, oh, okay, I have a base of knowledge. If I want to branch out, I know which direction I want to go now. And that's what I found so valuable about Wizard as a resource. You know, that's just kind of a a basic, you know, we've talked about our our origin stories there and how it came. And there's so much more that's going to come out over the course of the show. I mean, there's so many years of our lives devoted to all of this. But I'm curious, Michael, for you, as we get ready for episode one to hit, what are you most looking forward to? with this show when you reached out to me and said hey do you want to start a podcast about comics without even hesitating i said absolutely 100 percent because i'm very interested to see your position and your take on various things and stories of the, of that era it's also kind of cool to go down memory lane i'm actually right now in a graduate program for creative writing and screenwriting and using those stories and looking back on those stories and how they influenced me going into you know my professional career and so on and so forth it's going to be really exciting to travel back in time and, and you can still to this day see the ripple effects of that era of comics in modern day because a lot of the stories that were told back then are being retold like the exo man of war gen 13 a lot of those books they had a resurgence in in the 2000s and people only know from that time period not that they existed beforehand and i think for for listeners as well as us to look at that and see like wow these things had some place else they came from is going to be really fun and really cool and i look forward to that how about you? Well, you know, I think you're 100% on point with that. It's interesting that now, you know, 20-odd years on, we are 
in many ways, that old guard that understands, oh yeah, this and that, and we read this back in the day, the original version. No, this one! Just like the people that we looked up to back then that had their roots in the 60s and 70s and early 80s and things like that. But for me, I think what I'm most excited about is the discovery of so many titles I ignored as a kid. Because despite the disposable nature of a lot of 90s comics in retrospect, there is so much quality that I missed out on back in the day due to immaturity. Oh, yeah. Stuff that I've, I've tried to catch up, like John Byrne's Next Men blows me away. I own all the trades. Wow. Jeff Smith's Bone, I remember that getting hyped. I tried to get on board with it. It's just not my thing. Fantasy, I you know, I never read Preacher or Hellblazer, and yet they got made into movies and TV yeah. shows. But I'm starting to check out the Neil Gaiman Sandman trades from that, the library. That's another one. A couple of things, like you said, Preacher. Like, I have volumes one and two of Preacher, I haven't been able to like sit down and really dive dive into them. You know, a couple of years ago, a buddy of mine loaned me Sandman, and I was like, well, you know, let me read this thing because th- why is this thing so revered? Like, it's it's revered up there in the comic book world to Watchmen in the sense that it's like something that's so different. I still don't fully get it. I, I, I think artistically, it's amazing. It was not my thing. So I'm not a big you know fantasy person as as well. I'm more of a heroes person. Everyone says to me like, you know, how do you not like game? Game of Thrones, or how do you not like Lord of the Rings? I'm like, it's not my thing. Like, I like superheroes, I like space and sci-fi. I'm not a big wizards and warlocks type of stuff, but I respect it and I appreciate it. And to look at stories, in particular, just things like Preacher or you know Sandman and other things like that, like why they were so revered and why they're they're looked upon now as the art form that they are, and people respect them and are trying to emulate them today, is interesting. Yeah, that is going to be a segment of the show, is we are going to look at picks from the wizard's hat, the section of the magazine each month that would tell you this is what's coming out and give you a little synopsis. And so we're going to go through and we'll be retroactively reviewing these issues, you know, and giving our thoughts. And Wow, I can't believe we missed this. Or, well, I guess we didn't miss much, you know, so we'll see how that goes. But we wanted to, to give you a little preview of some of the segments that we will be featuring on the show. One of the things that we are going to be doing as well because wizard was a price guide right like ultimately that was kind of the first push you know because you get the overstreet price guide every year to that was like this giant volume book and you could base your you know my collection's worth this or that and now here's a monthly version of a price guide but it was also the time of really hyping comics and, and maybe overinflating their value early on and a lot of speculation all those things so we're going to be looking at what was the price at that time and then how has it come to be valued so we will have a rating system there where we'll see how they've performed so let's get into punisher's price guide I'm a big fan of reading reports on things that were promoted but never released or the final product was changed dramatically by the time it hit shelves. So as an example, I was stubbing through the Wizard Price Guide in issue 28 and it lists the last action hero comic from Topps Comics which was never actually released because the book was behind schedule and the movie tanked at the box office before they finished it. And so how do I know this? I own the 
only surviving set of trading cards that were meant to be inserts in those issues, which I got from the card layout artist that designed them. And yet there is the comic actually for multiple issues of Wizard listed with a price of two ninety five because that was going to be the cover price. And it lists with insert cards in the price guide. So it was one of those things. It was a three issue miniseries. By the time the third issue was scheduled to be released, didn't come out the next issue. It's out of the price guide. They finally got the note. Wow. Yeah, so it's worth nothing because it doesn't exist. Technically, it should be worth a bundle. But then again, it's Last Action Hero, so nobody cares but me. <laughs> Sadly. But you know what? That That's really interesting, though. Like, I forgot about that because I do vaguely remember there was supposed to be a comic book for that movie because they, they thought it was going to become a franchise and do a trilogy or whatever. And that movie was just so bad and, and did so poorly at the box office. And it doesn't surprise me that you have something that no one else has in relation to that movie. To me, that just was like, ah, sounds about right. Now, another segment that we're going to be playing games on the show as well. We're just going to be having some fun playing around with our knowledge of comic books because, again, that's what it's all about. You kind of test each other to pull some information, some trivia from one another. And so we have a segment titled, Who's Who? And uh, the basic rules for who's who is we're each going to think of a character and in 10 questions or less, we're going to try to guess who the other person is thinking of. Whether it's going to be using some sort of psychic power, Professor X style, or just our powers of deduction like Batman. We will do our best. So, Michael, would you like to go first? Do you want to try to guess who I'm thinking of? Yeah, sure. Let's go for it. Is the character one of the big three franchises, which would have been at the time Marvel, DC, or Image? Yes. Is the character male? Yes. Okay. Is the character a demon or dead-ish? No. Well, yes. (laughs) I'm going to say yes. I'm feeling like it's Spawn. Sorry, not Spawn. It was actually Dr. Fate. I would have never gotten there. I would have never gotten there. Nobody would. But I had some dinner guests over tonight, and I actually ended up finding out that one of them was a comic book fan. 20-year-old guy, all right, into comic books. We're talking about comic book movies. Then he's like, no, 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 I actually read the comics. Like, I know what I'm talking about. I was like, oh, you do? Well, let's get into this. So finally, he's like, oh, and my favorite character is Dr. Fate. I'm like, who knows Dr. Fate? Wow. Let alone a 20-year-old kid in this day and age. So he's like, tell me all about it. I was like, oh, yeah. He, like, you know, he lives in his helmet. He has to, like, take over people's consciousness and all this stuff. And he's explaining all this. That's why when you're talking, is he a demon? Is he this? I'm like, well, he kind of is. He's kind of dead. He transfers around. But it just, it blew my mind that somebody would be thinking of Dr. Fate. I think Dr. Fate is supposed to make an appearance in the Crisis on Infinite Earths show on CW coming oh, out. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think he did show up. Remember at the later seasons of Smallville where they kept bringing all these like Justice Society characters? Yes. And, yeah. So I'm pretty sure he showed up there. So, yeah, that's awesome that he'll be coming around again. <laughs> all right. Let, let's, let's reverse it. I'll think of a character. I'll go with a fairly easy one. Okay, I got one. All right. Is this character... From one of the big three. Yes. Okay. Is this character male? No. Is this character part of a team? 
Yes. Does this character have augmented strength? Mm, no. Okay. Does this character have a love interest? Multiple. Oh. <laughs> Is this character a member of the X-Men? Yes. Does this character have psychic powers? No. All right. Oh, I'm just going to go for it. Is it Psylocke? No, she has psychic powers. Oh, that's true. She has her psychic knife. My bad. No, it's it's Kitty Pride. Oh, Kitty! Yeah, Kitty Pride is my favorite X-Men character. There's just like a uniqueness about, I guess, the intangibility that she can't really grab onto things, and she's a cool character, and that was what I was thinking of. I always found Kitty so interesting. One of the things that I didn't know, because I knew Kitty ultimately from, like, Pride of the X-Men, that cartoon, and then, you know, kind of those early days, like I said, reading Excalibur and stuff like that. But when I have gone back to read X-Men comics and realizing that at one time she called herself Sprite, Uh. and another time she called herself Ariel for some reason, and then she Shadow Cat, you know, like, she, she had so many different identities, but ultimately it always just comes back well it's kitty you know like why why did she try to find a code name so hard you know shadow cat's probably the one that stuck but ultimately all of them are a little suspect i feel like yeah she she has the unfortunate luck of having so many different writers constantly try to reinvent her and not give her any justice like oh and change her outfit we'll change her hair we'll change her name or something will stick and it's just like you know my grandmother would say like you take the spaghetti throw it against the wall see what sticks and you know you go with that i've been in search of her uh bowen's design statue for about five years now Uh, and it's a it's really hard one to find and it's like a thousand dollars and at this point because it's because bowen doesn't exist anymore which i'd love to someday talk to you about statues because i have quite a few and i collect hot toys and you know Uh Ah, yeah. We're going to have to have an action figure and sculpture discussion for oh, sure. big time. <laughs> Great. Well, and so, again, these are just like very brief glimpses into what the show will be. It's actually going to be quite structured. We kind of had more of a free-form discussion this time around, but once again, a special thanks to Mickey and Jason at TRN for allowing us to do this and have some fun reliving the good old days. So, if you want to get on board with Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, be sure to subscribe to the Retro network podcast feed on itunes stitcher podbean you can go on over to the retro network.com and while you're there you'll find all sorts of uh, nostalgia filled fun focusing you know mostly on the 80s and 90s and getting some of your favorite tv shows and i'll even be posting some articles over there i recently actually uh, talked about my favorite 90s comic book gimmicks ones that i thought were actually awesome and not ridiculous in retrospect so you can go over there and check that one out if you want to get on board and be connected on social media be sure to find us we're over there on twitter at wizards comics hit follow so that we can come at you starting january 2020 with issue one of wizards the podcast guide to comics i'm very much looking forward to it michael thanks for being on board for this adventure thank you for asking me i'm, I'm super thrilled and we have a great time So, until next time, don't forget to keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.